Um, I want to invite you to stand as we read God's word. Today's scripture reading comes from Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 to 3. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heirs of all things, and through whom he also made the universe. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. This is the word of the Lord. You can be seated. Can we turn my mic down just a little bit? I feel like it's, I'm going to start yelling soon, so it's going to be too loud. (laughs) No, I'm just kidding. Kind of. Um, All right, so it is the second Sunday of Christmas on the church calendar. It's also the first Sunday of 2022. So that means we are kind of in a weird place. Uh, It is this moment where we are looking ahead. We're dreaming about what will come next in our lives. And yet, here in this room, we aren't quite ready to move on. We are still lingering over this moment the rest of the world celebrated last week. This marvelous, miraculous moment when God became a man. But what I'm hoping today, as we look at this passage as we think about the good news of Jesus' birth, I'm hoping that the, the miracle of the incarnation might actually help us. It might play a role as we start to plan for the new year. That somehow the incarnation might help us get ready for 2022. Because the incarnation, it tells us something about God's desire to speak with us. It tells us something about his desire to be near to us, his desire to dwell with us and to communicate his love to us. And so in light of that, what I'd love to suggest as we get ready for a new year is rather than starting off with a long list of resolutions, of things that we want to accomplish, what I think this passage can help us, can inspire us to do is to begin the year instead by slowing down. To begin the year by taking a deep breath and fixing our eyes on God and and listening to what he might have to say about our upcoming year. Honestly, I I do mean that. I would love it after the sermon, practically, if, if some point today, before you head into your first week of the new year, if you could sit down in a quiet space with the Lord and just ask him, Lord, how can I best glorify you this next year? What are your priorities that I need to keep in mind? And just jot down the things that come to mind. See how God might be leading you, might be speaking to you. Now, I recognize a suggestion like that makes a pretty big presumption, especially for us Presbyterians. It makes the presumption that God wants to speak with you. For some of us, that's an idea we really struggle with, right? For some of us, God, 
it doesn't seem like he's trying to speak. It seems like he's silent. Like he is distant. Like he's disconnected from the things that are happening in our daily life. And so that's why I picked this passage for us. As we are taking one last week to celebrate the birth of Christ, as we enter a new year, I think these opening lines of Hebrews remind us that our God is a God who speaks to his people. Our God is a God who, in fact, wants to speak to you. And so our three points this morning are really simple. The first is that God spoke by the prophets. The second is that God has spoken by his son. And the third is that God still speaks today. So God spoke by the prophets. That's the first thing I want to tell you about. If you ever need to do a book report on the Old Testament and you only have one sentence to do it, this is where you would find it. This is the one-sentence summary of the whole Old Testament. It says, In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. That's what this, is, this whole book is. It's, it's showing us, the Old Testament shows us how God spoke by the prophets. Now, my question to you is, do you ever think about how incredible that is? Do you ever really consider it? Do you understand what it means, what that tells us about our God? It tells us right off the bat that our God has always spoken. At many times, that's what it said, right? At many times and in all sorts of different ways, God has spoken. And that's different than you might guess, especially if you just listen to the loudest voices in the world today. In our world today, there is often this idea that God is silent or that maybe God is dead, that God is absent. Maybe he's hiding or maybe he just got up and he he left the scene altogether. I've had people tell me, oh, I think there probably is a God, but if there is a God, he's a watchmaker God. He he did have to, there has to be a God to put an intricate and ornate universe like this together, but once he did, once he wound it up and made it all work, well, he just left. But is that the case? Is God absent? Is God hiding from us? Well, this passage in Hebrews, it gives us a pretty loud and resounding answer. No. No, he's not. What we do see, though, all throughout Scripture, if you pick this book up and you read it, is that we are often hiding from him. God isn't hiding from us, but if you look at the story of Scripture, what you find is that human beings are always hiding from him. From the very first pages of the Bible, you read about the creation that God made, right? He made this perfect world, a world that is created to be good, where men and women are at the pinnacle of his creation, and he is living in perfect communion with them every day. He's given them this task to complete, to subdue the earth and to cultivate the earth. But of course, they quickly mess it up. That's the story of the fall. They rebel, they turn away from God, and do you remember what their very first instinct is once that happens. What is the first instinct of theirs when sin enters the world? It says, 
Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid. They hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. And when they hide, what is God's first reaction? But the Lord called out, where are you? God calls to them. He speaks to them. And if you read the rest of that chapter, you see even in this moment when the world is collapsing, when all of the consequences and the curses of the fall are starting to play out, God is even in that moment speaking promises. He's saying, yes, all of these things are going to take place, but to the woman he says, from you, there is going to come one who's going to crush the head of the serpent. Today, that dynamic has not changed. God doesn't hide from us, but we hide from him. Romans 3, Paul, the apostle, he tells us there is no one who seeks God, not even one. Now, that doesn't mean there aren't people out there who have some vague sense of spiritual longing It doesn't mean there aren't people in our community that think about church and think, ah, maybe it'd be good for me to go to church sometime. That happens. I had a neighbor. I remember she knew I was a pastor, and occasionally we'd invite her to things and talk to her about life and faith. And and she told me, Pastor, I just want you to know, I I will become a Christian someday. I, I fully intend to become a Christian someday. But not yet. Because, well, there's some things I want to do first. And I I know that Jesus won't be a fan of those things, so I'm just going to wait. That kind of searching for God is actually pretty common. There is this searching for God where we are looking for a God who meets our needs and who does it on our own terms. But when it comes to the true God, When it comes to the living God, the powerful God, Romans says there's no one who seeks him. There's no one who's looking for the real God, but here's the good news. He does seek us. That's what this whole story is. He seeks after us. As Hebrews puts it, in many times, in various ways, he has sought after his people. He has called out to his people. You go back to Genesis. Again, the first book of the Bible, Genesis chapter 12. You see God calling out to this guy, Abraham, who's a pagan, who has nothing to do with God, who who has no thought of God. And then God calls out to him and he says, Go from your country and your people and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make you a great nation. And I will bless you, and I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing, and I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you I will curse, and all the peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. So to a people who were not seeking him, God says, here I am. And then he gives them a promise, a mysterious promise. Somehow, through this one man, he's going to bless the whole world. That the whole world is going to be blessed through him. And you know what that is. Well, it's a promise about Jesus. 
Fast forward to the book of Exodus. Another man who's hiding in the wilderness for decades after he's committed murder. And all of a sudden, God appears to him in a burning bush. And he calls him out of hiding and gives him this task. And and this man, Moses, as he walks with God, gets to know God. And God reveals who he is and more of his character. He gives him the law, and he gives the law to the people. And then he even goes so far as to declare his name. He shows up to Moses, and he says, this is who I am. He says, I am the Lord, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands, forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin, yet who will not leave the guilty unpunished. How can love and punishment exist together? Well, even in that moment, he is pointing us to Jesus. God then takes the people of Israel out of Egypt. He takes these people by hand and he rescues them and he brings them into a promised land and he makes them into a great nation. And then in the midst of this mighty nation, he goes to their greatest king, David, and he says... When your days are over and you rest with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you. Your own flesh and blood. I will establish this kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. What kind of king can reign forever? You know. It's a promise of Christ. It's a promise of the Messiah. It's the promise of Jesus. And then, in addition to those big promises, you have this whole record of all these other people who came speaking the word of God, speaking the will of God. All these prophets, Elijah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Amos, Daniel, the list goes on and on and on. And it is all about this God who speaks. This God who is calling people out of hiding. A people who are faithless. People who are rebellious. God is pursuing them with his word. So that's the first point. God spoke by the prophets. But then we see here, it goes on to say, but in these last days... He has spoken by his son. So this is the second point. God has spoken by his son. What does that mean? Well, first it means that Jesus is the complete word. In the past, in the Old Testament, when God is revealing himself at various times, in different ways, It's a progressive kind of revelation, right? Bits and pieces. Little fragments of the picture are forming, but it's not the full picture. But in the Gospel of John that we're going to start studying next week, the Apostle tells us that Jesus is the Word of God who has become flesh and dwelt among us. Or our passage today, it says Jesus is the exact 
representation of his being. That means there's nothing else that has to be said. Jesus is the complete word. Jesus is the full picture. No no more of these bits and pieces, but we have the full thing in Christ. That's what it means first. Secondly, what it means is that Jesus is the message of all the prophets. He is the one that all of these prophets were always pointing towards. He is the full message. As a pastor this time of year, it's, I often get questions about reading the Bible. Uh, it's actually it's a pretty good time to start reading the Bible if you're thinking about it. January, uh, what is it, 2nd? You got, you got time to start, and maybe if you want to, get through the whole thing this year. But people come to me and they ask, hey, pastor, I want to read the Bible. What book should I start in? You know, you have that one camp of people who want to open up in Genesis and just kind of try to plow through to the end. Some people suggest maybe you should start with the Gospel of John, or maybe you should start with Mark. But as I've thought about the question, what I think is most important, if you are going to read the Bible, it's not which book you start with. It's really how do you understand what you're reading. One of the most important passages in all of Scripture, in my mind, is Luke, in Luke chapter 24. Do you remember this story? It's a story that takes place after the resurrection. A couple of the disciples are wandering down the road, and they are depressed. And then Jesus walks up next to them, but they don't recognize him. And he says, what's wrong? And they say, well, how do you not know? Haven't, haven't you heard what's happened? This guy, Jesus, came. We thought he was going to be the Messiah, We thought he was going to be the king. We expected him to be the one who was going to fix everything, but now he's dead. And then Jesus does this. Luke chapter 24, verse 25, it says, Jesus said to them, how foolish you are, and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And here's the verse. It says, beginning with Moses. So beginning with the first book of the Bible, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. That passage is so important because it is Jesus himself telling us that all of scripture is about him. All of the scriptures are about him. That all of these books, all these 66 books of the Bible, they only will make sense to you if you can understand how they are telling us something about the salvation that he was going to win us on the cross. So it doesn't really matter if you start with Genesis or Job or Lamentations or Mark or John or whatever, as long as you understand that the book you're reading is intended to tell you a message about Christ. It's intended to point you to our Savior. And that's the song we just sang. That's why I requested that we would sing this song today, that Jesus is the true and better, because it is a song about that fact. It actually comes from a longer quote 
uh, from a, a book on preaching by Tim Keller, where he kind of runs through this litany. He rattles them off one by one. All of these examples, all throughout the Old Testament, about how the scriptures are about Jesus. So I want you to listen to it. These are just a few examples, honestly, even in this longer quote. And, and I'll say, before I read it, if you're not familiar with some of these names, if you're not familiar with some of these Bible stories, if you're not really, haven't read the Bible before, or maybe you're new to church, uh, don't let that distract you. Just, I hope that you might be inspired instead to get to know these stories. I hope that hearing these things might make you curious this year to go and, and seek them out and read the word and, and see for yourself what it says. But here's, here's the quote. Jesus is the true and better Adam who passed the test in the garden and whose obedience is imputed to us. Jesus is the true and better Abel who, though he was innocently slain, his blood cries out for our acquittal, not our condemnation. Jesus is the true and better Abraham who answered the call of God to leave the comfortable and familiar and go out into the void and create a new people of God. Jesus is the true and better Isaac who was not just offered up by his father on the mount but was truly sacrificed for us all. God, if you remember in that story, he said to Abraham, Now I know you love me because you did not withhold your son, your only son, whom you love from me. And now that means we can say to God, because of Jesus, now we know that you love us because you did not withhold your son, your only son, whom you love from us. Jesus is the true and better Jacob, who wrestled with God and took the blow of justice we deserved so that we, like Jacob, only receive the wounds of grace to wake us up and discipline us. Jesus is the true and better Joseph, who at the right hand of the king forgives those who betrayed him and sold him and uses his new power to save them. Jesus is the true and better Moses, who stands in the gap between the people and the Lord and mediates a new covenant. Jesus is the true and better rock of Moses, who, struck with the rod of God's justice, now gives us water in the desert. Jesus is the true and better Job, the one who was a truly innocent sufferer who then goes and intercedes for and saves his stupid friends. Jesus is the true and better David, whose victory becomes his people's victory, though they never lifted a stone to accomplish it themselves. Jesus is the true and better Esther, who didn't just risk losing an earthly palace, but who lost the ultimate heavenly palace, who didn't just risk losing his life, but gave his life to save his people. Jesus is the true and better Jonah, who was cast out into the storm so that we could be brought in. Jesus is the real rock of Moses. He is the real Passover lamb. He's the innocent, perfect, helpless, slain sufferer so that the angel of death would pass over us. He's the true temple, the true prophet, the true priest, the true king, the true sacrifice, the true lamb, the true light, the true bread. Do you see? All these scriptures are about Jesus. God spoke by the prophets, but ultimately... 
He was talking about his son. Even the law. The moral law. Why do we have it? Well, it shows us the character of God. Why does it show us how perfect and holy and righteous God is? So that we know we need a savior. It shows these laws for sacrifice, for forgiveness of sin. What are they all about? Well, they are pointing us to the one true sacrifice of God. The only thing that could really take away sins. Jesus is the final word because he is the fully revealed word. He is the one that all those prophecies were pointing towards. So as you are reading this word, it's really all the same message. It's the message of God's intention to save us through a redeemer. One who would come and who would live a perfect life in our place. Who in his life would perfectly reveal who God is. We'd see the character of God through him as he walked on earth. Who would suffer and who would die for our sins. And who would cover us with his righteousness. So that we could finally come out of hiding and walk into the presence of God. Forever. God spoke by the prophets, but ultimately, he has spoken to us by his son. But that's not all. The third point is that God speaks today. God speaks today. This is really the point. That's, this is why I picked this text. This was kind of a Free, free choice for me this week as a pastor. I could, I could preach on anything. And the reason I picked this one is because it is the ninth day of the 12 days of Christmas. And as we think about the birth of Jesus, as we think about that moment when in a feeding trough, in a small town, there was this infant born who was miraculously somehow fully God, Well, there's something we need to see about that moment. There's something we need to know about that event. That was God coming to speak to you. That was God coming to speak to you. The reason God took on flesh was because he wants to talk to you. He wants you to understand your purpose in this life. That you are created to know him. To live in relationship with him forever. We have this whole record throughout all of history, the entire Bible, where at many times in all sorts of ways God has reached out where God has gone out and grabbed people and pulled them towards himself, when he's found those hiding people and he's called them back over and over into relationship with him. But do you know none of those moments that you read about, none of those stories in the Old Testament, none of those amazing, miraculous moments can compare to what God did to reach you. There is nothing 
that can compare to God literally entering into our reality. To this infinite, eternal, almighty, powerful God taking on our frail form. Why did he do that? Because he is a God who pursues He is a God who is fundamentally defined by his love for you. And that means he is a God who pursues. It doesn't make any sense to me, honestly. When I think about it, why would God do that? Why would he do that for me? What have I done to deserve that? And the answer is nothing. I really have done nothing. I've done less than nothing. But God pursues me and you in love because that's who he is. That's who he was. That's who he always will be. God is love. Now God, it says he spoke his final word in Jesus. He has spoken by his son. But that doesn't mean he's done speaking because his final word is a living person. His final word has a spirit that is still active and at work in this world and in our lives today. That means today he is still the same God who is out on the hunt for a people who are hiding from him. I'm sure we all know that familiar verse, right? Where Jesus in Revelation, he says, Here I am, I stand at the door and knock, and if anyone hears my voice, I will open the door and and come in and eat with that person and they with me. But you know that's not the full picture, don't you? If the incarnation is going to show us anything, it shows us that. It shows us there is nothing that is going to stop God from saving his people, certainly not a door. Right? There is no barrier that he is unwilling to cross. There is no obstacle too large to hold him back. There is nothing that's going to stop him from entering your life if that is his desire. Or to put it another way, if God intends to make you his, he will. You can't hide. Jack Miller, an old, old pastor, used to say, you know, that we like to look at that verse that I, I stand at the door and knock and we think that, you know, we're the ones that open the door and let him in. But the truth is, when we heard Jesus knocking at the door, we looked to the peephole and we got the fridge and we pushed it in front of the door. And then we got a dresser and we pushed it in front of the fridge and then we got all the chairs and we leaned them up and wedged them up against it for fear that he might try to come in. And while we were doing that, the Holy Spirit went into the basement and set our house on fire. <laughs> and as the room starts to fill with smoke and we realize there's no one else we can go, we, we make this plan that we can just pull these things and try to run past Jesus while we open the door. And so we move all the things out and as we try to run, he grabs a hold of us. And we realize, tis so sweet to trust in Jesus. This is our God. He's a God who speaks. He is a God who pursues. A God who is alive and who is at work. And so my question for you this morning, are you listening? Are you listening? 
as he is calling out for you today. Are you ready to surrender to his pursuit? Are you ready to come out of hiding? Maybe for the first time, maybe for the 5,000th time. And receive his love for you today. As we start another year, my, my real question is, would you be willing to really do this? To sit in silence before the Lord? Would you be willing to sit in his presence and ask him, how can I respond to your pursuit this year? And who should I pursue with the message of your love? How should I live in light of what you've spoken? If we'd really do that, I just wonder what God might do with our church this year. What would he do with us if we entered this year asking for his guidance, for his leadership, seeking his will? Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you've spoken. We thank you that you are speaking. We thank you for your spirit who is here with us in this room. And even right now, Lord, we ask that you would make us aware of your presence. God, would you give us the faith to come out of hiding? Would you give us the faith to confess our sins to you and to one another and to move forward in obedience? Lord, would you help us to know the truth that it is sweet to trust in Jesus? And would you direct us and guide us as we head into this new year, we pray in Christ's name.